Welcome to Trans Mafia. I'm Blue. And this is Orion. And we are here at the amazing Las Vegas Lounge, our home away from home. Um, I'm here seven days a week, so I really feel like this is my home. <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, this is a great place to come and shoot a podcast. And uh, Orion and I are discussing doing a live podcast soon so we can have a YouTube channel. So uh, stay tuned for that. How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's really early. We were recording at the crack of dawn this morning. What crack of dawn? Because usually we do Tuesdays, but Tuesday was not going to happen this week. No, so, no. Yeah. This was a crazy week for everybody, I think. I had my kids been acting up crazy this week and yeah. just working everything else. So. Right. I heard your dog's been acting up too, your puppy. Oh, I'm going to kill that dog. <laughs> no, I'm not going to kill that dog. I love that dog, but oh, man. Oh, until they get trained, it's not a very good service dog. No. Well, it's not the, it's everything but the potty training. They'll, she'll sit, she'll stay, she'll give paw, she'll lay down. That potty training thing, and part of it is because we're in a condo, and I have to get around like every half hour, I can't do that all the time because I'm not there. But right. we'll figure it out. She's getting better about it. We'll figure it out. Yeah, do you crate her? Like... I don't crate her because I don't have room for crate, number one. Yeah. Um, she goes with me almost everywhere. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like I said, she's getting better, and she's amazing with Finley. Oh my God. Cool. Those cool. two have such a really cool relationship. It's really cool to watch. So nice. It'll be all right. It's just a puppy. I got a puppy and a toddler. And Siblings. Yeah. 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 That's good. Okay, so we had talked about doing um, history today. So we are going to forego, forego the, uh, you know, the usual ranch usual, session. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I have yeah. just one, real quick? For sure. Just one. Go ahead. <laughs> so here in Las Vegas, we finally had an out and open LGBTQ state senator named Calvin Atkinson. He was on the board for the center here, and he owned a bar and a bunch of other things. Well, come to find out, he got caught embezzling almost $300,000. He used $75,000 of that to open up a bar, $20,000 to buy a Jaguar, $100,000 to pay off his credit cards. But he gets to stay out of jail and turn himself in in October. Why does he, why? White collar crime. They say they don't have privilege. That's privilege. I don't care what color you are, but that's a privilege. I'm assuming this is a gay white man. Gay black man. Really? Yes. Oh. Yes. In fact, I did a marriage panel with him when I first started working at the center almost three years ago, oh. and um, he told me and Owen that um, that black men led the way for marriage equality. And me and Owen just looked at him and didn't say anything because we were in a room full of people, but we're like, "What the hell are you talking about?" Okay. Yeah. Right. I was really confused when he said that, but yeah. I was just like, oh. um, yes. So this week we're going to be talking about trans history. Um, I have a couple favorite people in trans history. I can't narrow it down to one, but we'll talk about a bunch today. Yeah. Um, you want to start, Orion? Yeah. Um, so <coughs> the first one that I found uh, that I wanted to talk about was Sarah Emin Emin Edmonds. Sarah Emin Edmonds, and she, that is a hard name to say. Uh, she was born 1841 and lived until 1898, and she was a soldier. Wow. So, um, what years was that? 1841 to 1898. So, civil. Wow, okay, civil yeah. War. Um, and uh, some of the quotes around here were when I look around and see the streets crowded with strong, healthy young men who ought to. <coughs> be foremost in the ranks of their country's defenders. I'm not only ashamed, but I'm indignant. So, um, and this, this article, I'm just gonna kind of read it, and perhaps a trifle jealous, as Edmonds admitted in her best-selling autobiography, nurse and spy in the Union Army. It ranked her 
soul that male effeminates who never smelt powder in the battlefield should so casually squander their gender-given right to swashbuckle. What part am I to act in this great drama? She demanded and promptly enlisted in the Union Army under the name Frank Thompson. So huh. she, yeah, she kind of was a, uh, I mean, she, there's a picture, there's a picture that um, I'll try to remember to post. And it says, uh, the beardless boy. So uh. she essentially went in as like a young man, um, was irritated that there were a lot of men that were kind of not going into it. Um, I, I, personally, I wouldn't want to sign up to die. Right. Um, of like a musket wound or like gangrene because my leg needs to be cut off. Um, right, or infection because <laughs> they cut it off in the middle of the field. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she had written afterwards, of course, about this. But this is why I bring this up because, of course, she didn't identify as a man her whole life. But she is doing something that's gender non-conforming of the time. Right. Like this was not necessarily allowed. So right. like you sneak in, and this has happened with a lot of Civil War soldiers that we found out later. They're found on the battlefield, um, you know, and only found to be female-bodied because they, you know, were dead. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think some of the individuals, I'll use the term individuals that did that, I think might have been gender variant and just yeah. didn't know how to express it, you know? Um, I think some of them might have been spent liberated women mm -hmm. who wanted to fight and didn't want to be stay-at-home wives and make babies and cook and clean and all that kind of stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. But they weren't allowed to do that back then, obviously. Right. So I think that there, was, there were a couple different motivations. But there was another soldier back then, that time. His name yes. was Albert Cashier. Yes. He yes. is one of my favorite people. In fact, I'm thinking seriously, seriously about getting a tattoo of him on me. Okay. Because he's seriously one of my favorite people. Mm -hmm. And he was in um, Civil War. He was from Ireland. And he immigrated here um, under the name Jenny Irene Hodges. Um, and he was in the Civil War as a male, and when he, the interesting thing about Albert Cashier was when he passed away, his former platoon mates made sure that he was buried in his male uniform with Albert Cashier on his headstone. Um, he died in a soldier's home after he found got hurt, where they discovered that Albert was born female identified at birth, mm -hmm. and they made him wear the female um, dress back then in the hospital. That but, must have been heavy and yeah, super fun. Right. Because uh, layers and layers of shit, although I'm sure the uniforms for the men were wool. Right. But can you imagine back then, like, having your cycle and all that heavy wool and... Well, you deal with, yeah. you deal with shit. Ooh. You deal with shit. Ooh. <laughs> but, like, you know, we don't know if he was gender variant. We don't know if he was trans male identified. Um, but we do know that, you know, he definitely went by Albert, definitely mm -hmm. even after... Um, Albert got out of the war, still went by Albert, so I tend to lean towards definitely transmasculine, right. but um, a good friend of mine, Joe Stevens, he had a band called Coyote Ugly, and he um, plays, I think, solo now, but mm -hmm. um, they did a play called The Civility of Albert Cashier mm -hmm. in L.A. Oh, well, um, that's cool. Yeah, and I'm really sad I didn't get to see it, but it was a play all about Albert Cashier's life. It was a musical, and the whole score was written by Joe. Um, so check it out. I think you can find bits and pieces of the songs and stuff on YouTube. But yeah, that's one of my favorite people in trans history is Albert Cashier. 
from a little town in Illinois, Sangamark. I actually got to go see his house because it's still standing. I'll shoot Laurel a bunch of uh, articles to post, mm -hmm. and they're really good about posting them. Well, I sent one because I kind of sent it because I was like, this is, this is asinine. But essentially, like, the title was something like, trans woman sues salon because they won't wax her balls. Like that was the word. <laughs> and like I kind of I just I kind of added it to the stuff because I thought that Laurel would get a little chuckle Whoa. out of it. And like they automatically like post, 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 post the stuff I said. And then yeah, I read the article, you know, and I didn't know that it got posted and then they're like, uh yeah, this article. And I mean, I think this person has like some valid points, but also like the picture that they have of her is not very flattering, but that's sometimes how press is. And it seemed a little bit like this person was gonna make a big stink over something that's like, well. Right. And I, you know, there's not a lot of details in the article either about like, was it, you know, were they being crass? Like, I mean, not to blame the victim, but like, I mean, that kind of stuff has happened before. I don't know of a lot of trans women that would really be comfortable going in someplace and asking for their balls to be waxed. That doesn't sound like something a normal trans woman would be comfortable with. Mm -hmm. I could be very wrong about that. I don't know. But yeah, it, I, I guess mean, it's, it's kind of like but... a trans man going, though, like in having his chest shaved or electrolysis uh -huh. on his chest before surgery right. or because they don't like hair. Right. So, and maybe it's a, maybe maybe this person has a body dysphoria about hair too. Maybe, yeah, yeah, so. and wants that like smooth. I, I just feel like that skin is so delicate anyway that waxing Ooh. sounds no. Terrible. I'm crossing my legs now. Yeah, no, no, waxing no wax sounds... down below the belt line. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people do mm. it, but um, keep the just, wax away from I just, the. Like, I used to back in the day, like wax my face, and it would pull my freaking skin off, so I could just imagine, mm -hmm. like what that does to people. Anyway, no scrote skin on any wax strips for anybody here. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. She was born in Canada. Oh, yeah. She was Canadian born. All right, that's cool. Uh, we're talking about Sarah. Edmonds. She was a spy and w lived as a spy as a woman. Edmonds. Oh, she yeah. was inducted into the woman's, Michigan Woman's Hall of Fame in 1992. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. Final so FYI. She was, she was honored for that. Yeah. And she did identify as a woman, but I mean, she was more than happy to identify as a man and go in and kind of. Yeah, because says here she was married to a man from 1867 to 1898. But you know. Yeah, you never know. Gender, yeah, gender, yeah. Two different things. Could have been one of the very first um, trans male couples ever. You never know. Um, never yeah, seen many things. So I wanted to bring up um, Belva Lockwood. And mm. this person never identified as male, but she did run for president before women had the right to vote. Go, girl. I want to bring that up because that is a big deal. Oh, yeah. To go out on a limb um, as a woman who can't own property can't have any, you're owned by your father or your husband. And I believe that she was actually single when she ran, but she was considered very eccentric, but she did go out there and at least try. So there were women who did try for president, um, even though we haven't actually gotten one in the office yet. And I'm not, uh, I, don't, I don't know when that's gonna happen. But I think that because that's gender non-conforming and it was very hard then to do that. 
Yeah, I mean, you think about going back to like Joan of Arc was, you know, you look back in history, people, uh, I can read that people were saying that Joan of Arc was gender variant. You know, Joan of Arc would run around wearing dresses and skirts and then man, men's clothing and nobody really cared back then or they, maybe they, just, they didn't recognize what was going on, but like, I think that was kind of cool because if nobody really knew mm -hmm. what was going on, then people would just be who they wanted to be and there was never less judgment. Well, with Joan, um, you know, she came from a kind of a poor family. Mm -hmm. I, do, <laughs> I know a little bit about that person. Um, but she, to go into battle, she wore men's clothes mm -hmm. to encourage the men to respect and be like, you know, if I can lead you, you can, you can do this. Um, Right. But yeah, I mean, we don't know what a lot of what happened before. People, of course, thought that she was nuts, and then became, gave her a saint, sainthood. So, you yeah. know. Um, she was a nutty saint. But I think <laughs> she is like the patron saint of trans. I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think, it, I don't I mean, I'm just imagining, and mm. from what I've read, that Joan of Arc was somebody who just said, you know what, I'm doing life on my terms, mm -hmm. I'm doing what I want, and I'm being who I am, mm -hmm. and you can either get on board or you can just yeah. fuck off, yeah. basically. But, you know, we're you talking know? about an era where you are, uh, again, owned by your father. Oh, yeah, it took a lot of guts back husband. then, yeah. So being a, a woman or a girl, really, as yeah. she was, going out there and going after her, um, her understanding, her beliefs, with no question, right? And to be able to get a bunch of people to follow her, yeah, that's kind of amazing. Yeah, um, I think they were one of the true first gender warriors. I would, you know? I, I would, I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, interesting. I think that there's been a lot more in history that we just don't have recorded because, you know, to be able to do things, a lot of times you needed to like present masculinely right. to be able to, you know. I don't. I, I don't want to say get away with stuff. But no, like, but it's like own businesses, to mm -hmm. vote, to join yeah. the war, to join the military, mm -hmm. to like do yeah. anything other than be a housewife, make babies, and clean and cook. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you pretty much had to present as male. I mean, I've read stories about even women having to present as male because they wanted to be a driver for the old Pony Express. Yeah. You yep. know. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of you know, there's not a lot written down about like the Wild West. You know, when like, you know, the West was being like. Frontier. Yeah, you know what? There's a trans guy named Harry, and I'll look it up. Mm -hmm. Harry something or other mm -hmm. that was a stagecoach robber mm -hmm. that was trans identified. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've read about, yeah. read about him. Um, but I mean, there's a lot because when you, when you um, are looking at like, you know, owning land, yeah. I mean, if you can throw some clothes on and hide, hide your body, then you can own land because it's so far out there that nobody's going to you know bother with you and really with the west you had to be careful because yeah. there wasn't a lot of law yeah it was a lot so, safer to let people yeah. think maybe that if you're a male especially yeah. if you were a single female you know I mean, on your own homestead you, or whatever you, yeah and also a lot of women like would make money uh, through you know sex work right and then a lot of they a lot of the West was actually built up by women doing sex work and then reinvesting their money. But the problem is they'd reinvest their money but then not be able to to like utilize that property because their husband went out. Yeah. Or they'd get it taken away, confiscated because yeah. they're just a woman. Right, um, so right. It, so it's a lot of like, you know, what kind of women would travel to the West? Yeah. And then how would they live their lives? And we don't have a lot of, we don't have a lot of, um, documentation but they read boarding houses oh I know <laughs> but, but you have to remember that documentation 
um, historically women's or females documentation is oral history right so right. guys would write stuff down sure. that you know and then they would get it published and yeah. we're talking about a few people out of like millions of people mm -hmm. that went through stuff but you know when we're talking about you know we can talk about two-spirit mm -hmm. indigenous people um, legit trans yeah. <laughs> or yeah. or queer depending on what tribal group they were in but like there's not a lot written down about that yeah. but they do have some documentation some photographs right. but not like written documents like we would consider legitimate knowledge yeah and that's a problem but one of my passions is i want to start a portable trans history museum i've got a couple artifacts already but something that can travel like different like you know events and conferences and stuff like that because i think it's important for people to be able to see i mean they hear about it but to be able to actually see things you know and I have a really good friend in New York, his name is Randolph Wicker, mm -hmm. and he was actually good friends with Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia P. Rivera. Sylvia Rivera. Actually, mm -hmm. in fact, Sylvia or, or Marsha slept on his floor for a while yeah. after she got shot in the back because she didn't want to sleep on a bed because it right. wasn't comfortable. Because it was, yeah, on her back. So he's got some artifacts and t-shirts of hers and some handwritten stuff that uh, hopefully he'll pass along to me. Um, mm -hmm. We've talked about that, you know, so I can mm -hmm. put that in the museum because it's important to preserve. It's something that I want to, um, you know, definitely, um, be able to showcase and show people. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, the very first trans flag ever made is now in the Smithsonian Museum. Mm -hmm. Who would have thought that would ever happen? You know, so. It's, you know, we yeah. are making progress forward as much as people want to try to not, yeah. So, um, so who, do you have someone else on I list? do, I do. The next person I have on my list is somebody that people really talk about and I don't think a lot of people know about, but this person doesn't get a lot of recognition that they deserve. So the person that I wanna talk about, their name is Lucy Hicks Anderson. She was a socialite and a chef, um, best known for their time in California around the Oxnard area from 1920 to 1946. Um, here's the interesting thing about Lucy. Assigned male at birth, but from an early age, adamant that she was female identified. Supportive parents and doctors let her live as one. Back in the 20s, 30s, mm -hmm. like, that was probably unheard of back then. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, um, they had a boarding house in Oxnard and they became a popular hostess. In 1945, a year after she married her second husband, she was arrested and tried um, and convicted of perjury as the government said she had lied about her sex mm -hmm. on the marriage application. Um, after her release from prison, she and her husband moved to LA. She flat out fused, and so did her husband to get a divorce. Yeah. And so when you talk about marriage equality, I don't, it wasn't, it wasn't anybody from the, the recent 20th century, mm -hmm. from Lucy Hicks Anderson was the first case of marriage equality. Yeah, yep. A trans woman of color, mm -hmm. not the Supreme Court, not Ogrefeld and all that other baloney, Lucy Hicks Anderson. You went, she went to jail and her husband chose to stay married to her, but they refused to acknowledge the fact that we're not gonna, we're not gonna deny who we are and not gonna deny our marriage. So LGBT people, get your history right, get to know who Lucy Hicks Anderson was, because she was around a long time before Edith Windsor or Jim Ogrefell or the Supreme Court or anybody else. A trans woman of color, do I need to repeat it? Trans woman of color, TWOC, just in case you missed it. <laughs> um, and that was her second marriage. The first yeah. marriage, she was married to a guy who was in the army, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, both of them knew, obviously, that she was 
uh, born male uh, assigned at birth, mm -hmm. but I, 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 I just, it irritates me when I say, oh yeah, let's give, you know, all these white and gentrified LGB people credit for marriage equality. Uh-uh. Mm -hmm. No. Trans woman of color in 1954. Yeah. <laughs> I love mm -hmm. that. 1954, yeah. You know, there's, there's always been trans people, but you know, again, like trans is a newer term. So when we're looking at some of these people historically, like there may not be words to kind of talk about what this person was, who mm -hmm. this person was. I want to bring up one of my favorite people um, is Quentin Crisp. Oh. And um, he, because this is how he identified, uh, I'll read the little bio. It says, from a conventional suburban background, uh, Crisp enjoyed wearing makeup and painting his nails and worked as a rent boy, so did sex work um, in his teens. Then he spent 30 years as a professional model for life classes in art colleges. The interviews he gave about his unusual life attracted increasing public curiosity and he was soon sought after for his highly individual views on social manners and the cultivating of style. His one-man stage show was a long-running hit both in Britain and America and he also appeared in films and TV. Um, Chris, he, he actually uh, spoke against gay liberation. He didn't like how it was going. Um, he... He didn't like how the marches were. He didn't like how, not necessarily like when, when you no know, gay people first started to gather. This is pre Stonewall. Um, they were very like conservative, very like, and he was not. And he would probably be considered a crossdresser and perhaps gender nonconforming. He did act in um, Orlando the movie Orlando with Tilda Swinton, one of my mm. favorite uh, cross-gender actors, mm. um, as the queen, Queen Elizabeth. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, or queen, the queen. I don't know if it was Queen Elizabeth, Queen Mary, a queen, um, but because that's a fictional story, but he um, played a queen and he like would dress and model as a woman into his elder years. And so in that, because he held his own, um, of course, you know, anybody who's gender nonconforming, I'm of course gonna like latch on to right. be like, yay, I totally understand. But I actually discovered him quite early and he was one of my first, I mean, him and like Divine. Interesting, were probably yeah. my first like people I could grasp onto and be like, yeah. oh, okay, this, this looks like something that's yeah. more familiar to me. Right, interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. He is no longer with us, um, but yeah, he yeah, he passed away actually in November 1999 at age 90. So he lived. That's a long time. A long ass time. Yeah. He was not going down quietly either, <laughs> which of course is also something I enjoy and appreciate. Right. All right, one of my next people I want to talk about is Lou Sullivan. Um, have you heard of Lou Sullivan? He was, yes. He was amazing. Yes. Lou was, um, so he was from, born in 1951. He passed away in 1991. Um, he was an American author and activist, but more, more importantly, he was known for um, really bringing up and out uh, the trans male movement into the open. Mm -hmm. 
um, being out and open about who he was. Um, he was largely responsible for the modern understanding of sexual orientation and gender identity as distinct, uh, unrelated concepts. Um, he was also a pioneer of the grassroots female FTM movement and instrumental in helping individuals obtain peer support counseling, endocrinological services, uh, and surgery outside of gender dysphoria clinics. He founded FTM International, which is one of the first organizations specifically for FTM individuals. Um, the other interesting thing about Lou Sullivan was he was gay identified and he was HIV positive. Mm. And when he kept trying to get treatment, they kept saying, you're, you know, born female, you can't be sick and blah, 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 blah. And one of the famous things I remember reading, I have a book called Trans History by Susan Stryker, and he said, they won't treat me as a gay man, but they'll let me die like one. You know? Yep. They won't accept me as a gay man and treat mm -hmm. me as a gay man, but they'll let me die like one, yep. because that was in the era where everybody was just, mm -hmm. you know, wasting the away. The hand, hands off. Passing away, the, and yeah. The HIV crisis, or yeah. what, did they, what did they used to call it? Not, not AIDS, they called it, because um, they thought it was a cancer. Yeah, I don't. The gay cancer. The gay cancer, yeah. The gay cooties. <laughs> they called it a bunch of different things back then. But um, but yeah, so Lou Sullivan was really one of the pioneers for the FTM movement and getting us out in the open. And, you know, um, he was diagnosed in 86 after surgery, actually. Um, he, I guess he got, oh, okay, I didn't know that. He got HIV after, after his SRS surgery. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, interesting. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to, um, like, kind of put a little caveat in here because many times we're uh, referring to someone from dual names as he or she um, due to, like, the documentation that was mm -hmm. written down rather than what they identified. Because, of course, we can't ask them what they were identified. Right. And some of these folks were never asked certain questions. Yeah. Um, you know, so they yeah. conventionally you know, you had to identify as a man or a woman. And Chris Bath, actually, I would, like, he didn't really identify as a man right. or a woman. Um, right. But, and that's, there's a soft spot in my heart. But, like, when we're doing that, it's not to um, uh, dead name people and it's not to kind of call them out, but it's right. more like historical, you know, really is is binary yeah. and so sometimes these words were not written down by trans people right. or people that understood they were written down by cis people they were like oh look at this yeah one. i was talking to joe when they were doing the civility of albert cashier about that because it was very really interesting you know that they, they had to search for a long time to somebody to play the part of albert um, but also we talked a lot about albert and what joe thought about him because joe did a lot of research into his life you know uh, and it's really, you don't know. So that's why Joe's like, we really just kind of like played almost as a gender neutralist role because we don't know if Albert really did mm -hmm. identify as male or if he was gender neutral or like, you know what I mean? So yeah, you kind of got to like Lucy Hicks Anderson, you, she says straight up, I'm a woman. So we know how we can, <laughs> we can, uh, you know, refer to her. But yeah, it's important to kind of, kind of have to read between the lines sometimes when we're talking about some of these people from history yeah right right yeah. um it, it's it is it is uh, challenging though and i think that i would really recommend that anybody even if you start googling on wikipedia you can find a lot of people who are gender non-conforming or trans and you can follow like you know wikipedia is not very you know anybody can type anything in there right. but if you actually follow some of the references back you can actually get some documentation but again with documentation it is 
usually Eurocentric, white, you know, wealthy. I want to start a website called Transpedia. And then I'll have all information in there about everything trans. Which you did have a long, 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 long day. Uh, Charles, uh, Genevieve, Louis, Auguste, Timothy, Dion. Oh. Um, you sound like it. So uh, this, <laughs> this person um, pretty much wore both men and women's clothes, but because he was of like, kind of like a royal descent, he was able to dress in women's clothes and was like kind of promoted to do that. Well, by some of like, didn't you know, guys the women wear wigs they, back then anyway? A lot. Oh yeah, they were very very fancy. So they were yeah, very, very fancy. I mean, um, but like going to balls and things, like yeah. where like he was so pretty, and then he enjoyed it. Uh, so she, yeah, was kind of favored by the king. Like was kind of a political political person. It all has like you know history in there and information and resources and like. Yeah. Uh, Vocabulary, that's what I was trying to talk Some of the things that she did um, were considered like stage tricks and they pleased the romantic empress. So really kind of played up to the women, helped women pick out their dresses, um, was accepted in, in fine culture, like upper, upper crust culture and part of the court. So, you know, there has been, I think that you know, we've found that there's been a lot of gender bending yeah. throughout history, but yeah. um, she slash he lived in the 1700s. Interesting. 1728 wow. to 1761. Wow. So not a super long life. 33. Yeah. 30, yeah. Yeah. But um, like, did a lot of stuff right. in her short, his short their short yeah. time span. Um, I love these stories about, about the kind of just gender bending and like fuck everybody. Um, and I just, the information that I'm finding on like people that were assigned male at birth, I'm actually getting from a book called Men and Women's Guys um, by Gilbert. Uh, it is it is not printed anymore. I've been trying to get the, the uh, other one called okay. Women in Men's Guide. Cal State Northridge has a sex and gender. Um, section in the library? Yeah, they, yeah. You know, but I mean, not a section, like a whole bunch of articles and okay. everything were like, like donated. Archive. Yeah, okay. okay, thank you. Um, and so they have like these old, these old books, but it's like all on gender and sexuality. Oh, love it, love it. Um, Leah Dion, from 19, born in 1728, uh, had an illustrious career as a French spy and diplomat. The Chevalier began appearing at Queen Elizabeth's court as a woman, claiming to have been assigned female at birth and demanding to be recognized as such by the French government. The Chevalier was such a well-known figure that the term eonism was for some time uh, used as a reference to those who just displaying gen transgender or gender fluid characteristics from 1728. I also, I don't remember their names, but I read about a book that had a list of a bunch of um, Females that not bunch. I'm sorry, a couple females that used to work for Mussolini and were spies for like Italy and that back then. So, dude, you mess with uh, them trans women. Good Fafi had yeah. all women soldiers. Yeah. Um, and was very adamant about this. I'm not sure why, mm -hmm. but I know that he would sexually harass them. Right. But would only hire fe hire female soldiers. So. Yeah. Interesting. You know. 
Okay, so I did find this article about this um, gay caveman uh, story. Okay, so essentially um, going through this, someone had written a critical eye on this piece, but this skeleton was found in Prague and they said they uncovered a Stone Age man buried in a position usually reserved for women. Um, of course, media claimed that it was gay. Um, uh, so it, the skeleton dates back to 2500 to 2800 BC. It was found in the outskirts of Prague. The culture of the man, see this is what I don't like, the man, the male figure, belonged to, known as the corded ware culture of their pottery decoration with the impressions of a twisted cord, was very finicky about grave rituals um, where they would bury men uh, on their right sides with their head facing east and the women on the left side. Hmm. How this was found, this a body was found, was buried as a woman, but was not buried with any other um, women or men like tools. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is, and this is like a quote from Kilgrove, if this burial represents a transgender individual as well it could, that doesn't necessarily mean the person had a different sexual orientation. And certainly doesn't mean that he uh, would have considered him herself um, or that his culture would have considered him homosexual. So it's more likely when as like a kind of a, a two-spirit or like someone kind of in the middle. Right. Which, when we look at other cultures, when we look at Indian culture, when we look at um, island culture, when and even in indigenous cultures, um, people who were trans, what we would consider trans, or like gender non-conforming many times, were seen as like a mediator, a shaman, someone who's closer to God, because there's an idea that, especially deism, like there's one greater God, that God was actually like kind of both a man and a woman. Right. That's the idea actually behind like Adam and Eve is that God created man in their image mm -hmm. and then split into two. Right. But that doesn't mean that, so I, I like yeah. that idea because yeah. I'm like, oh, well, I'm in the middle and so I'm like closer to God or whatever. But <laughs> but I love this idea of, um, of you know, them finding this. Of course, they slap gay on it, but right. like trans would be a lot more uh, understandable because we don't know what this person's sexual orientation yeah. is. Like, that yeah. doesn't even make sense. Yeah, back then, I don't think it was really about sexual orientation. It was more, it was more about gender. It which... was the gender roles because gender, mm -hmm. in, in tribal cultures, uh, gender was how people would dyke, like split up um, divisional labor. Right, right, right. But when we had, but everyone in the tribe was considered important. Even Crazy Bob would yeah. be like, here you do some basket weaving because we know you're crazy, Bob. But, but the whole thing is that everyone was valuable. When someone was like this, they weren't just thrown out. Right. You know, they were seen as like, oh, this person's kind of like can see a lot of sides and, and sees things differently. Like maybe we should listen to this person. They're a lot more um, open to it. Mm -hmm. then, Absolutely. Yeah. Like you, you make a place for everybody because everybody's important. Right. So yeah. I, I just think it's, um, I, I love, I love this kind of stuff. Yeah. And I know uh, both Blue and I have like done a lot of research in history. I did my capstone for um, my MSW and for, for my 
for my uh, gender and women's studies mm. on history of gender nonconformance. Mm. And because I specifically was looking at gender nonconformance, right. not I was looking at masculine women, feminine men, and then kind of everybody else right. <laughs> to see what nonconformists look like. Because some societies, it was you could be put to death for yeah. wearing men's clothes. Yeah, you could be put to death for wearing women's clothes. So. The people that were like, well, fuck that because I don't feel comfortable, I need to get this done, or like whatever, mm -hmm. I see as part of that gender continuum. Yeah. That's important to actually recognize. Yeah, even up in like progressive cities like San Diego, up until 1996, 96, it was illegal to walk mm -hmm. in for a woman or a man to walk down the street in opposite gender clothes. Mm -hmm. 96. Yeah. And one of my clients, Elena Albee, is the one who helped change all that. I mean, she's passed away now, but like, you think about it, that's 1996. I mean, come on. Yeah, um, they used to arrest people under, um, what did they call it when they arrested people? They would call it um, impersonation. Yeah, yeah. Impersonation, so you're impersonating a different gender and you could be arrested, and that's why when people at, you know, like, quote, gay bars, yeah. LGBT bars, yeah. when they were raided, you know, they had the red light. If you don't know, like, watch some watch some right. history stuff. Right. Um, they would, you know, they would try to switch clothes really quickly or, like, if they were passing, it was better. But, like... I think maybe next podcast we should talk about some of the movements, uh -huh. like Stonewall. For sure, And Compton's sure. cafeteria riots and Cooper's mm -hmm. Donuts and stuff like oh, that. Nobody really talks about the Compton Nobody talks about riots. the fire in Louisiana mm -hmm. that killed a bunch of gay men. And there were yeah. trans people that were killed in that fire, too. Like, there's a lot of different movements other than Stonewall, but that'd be an interesting conversation. Um, do you want to wrap up today talking about Marsha? Yeah. All right. Um, Please. One of my absolute, probably out of my, all my favorite people in history, close to Albert Cashier is Marsha P. Johnson, of course. Um, amazing, amazing individual, really close friend of Sylvia Rivera. Um, they co-founded the first trans action, um, the trans advocacy organization called STAR, which did for street transvestite action revolutionaries. And if you go on YouTube and look up videos of Sylvia Rivera, um, her and Marsha were thick as thieves. They're always hanging out together. Um, and you can see Sylvia, you know, screaming to people, you know, Fuck the gay movement, this is about trans people and trans lives. Mm -hmm. Even back then, you know. Mm -hmm. um, one of my good friends lives in New York, his name is Randolph P. Wicker, and he was close friends with Marsha P. Johnson. She lived at his house for a long time. Um, and after she got attacked, she got attacked frequently because she was just very flamboyant who she was and really mm -hmm. didn't care. Um, and uh, she got gotten shot in the back, and so she couldn't sleep on a bed, she preferred to sleep on the floor. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember talking to him and him telling me that when he found out that she had been they found when they found her body. I want to say when she was killed because I firmly believe she was murdered. Um, from everything that I've read and seen and everything. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, she used to go down to the docks all the time, but I don't think that she committed suicide. It's just too many things that don't make sense. But anyway, um, you know, he would say, he said, that's the moment my heart truly broke. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. um, she was well known and she loved flowers, mm -hmm. um, loved performing, and you could find her selling flowers that she would go down and get from Christopher Street um, at the bar for a tip for a dollar or two, you know. Mm -hmm. um, she was also known to be part of the Stonewall Uprising. There's so many different accounts of how Stonewall actually happened, um, but from a bunch of different accounts, mm -hmm. people will verify that she was there that night. Um, what role she had, that's up, up, to, up to debate. You know, um, but she had modeled for Andy Warhol. Um, she had, um, 
you know, she's just a popular figure in the gay scene in New York and the LGBT scene. So to me, I mean, Marsha P. Johnson, when things were able to start getting really like active and, and loud and, and, and uprised, Marsha P. Johnson was at the front of that. And yeah, she uh, checked in for that. Oh, she checked in for that. And her middle, her middle initial, the P, stood for pay it no mind. <laughs> yeah, Marsha Pay It No Mind Johnson. Okay. People would ask her, what does the P stand for? That's what she'd say, pay it no mind. Mm -hmm. And I love yeah, it, I love, I love it. Yeah. yeah, she's uh, yeah, she's definitely going to be, gonna be uh, somebody in history that will ever, forever change trans history because she's somebody that will always remember and think about um, and what she did back then because even what she did back then, a lot of us can't do now. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, so go Marsha P. Yeah. Well, I think that that wraps us up for today. But you know, um, if you have any questions, comments, if you know of people, uh, you know, a few episodes back, uh, I mentioned that there's like they're doing documentation. Someone's doing documentation on trans uh, stories, mm -hmm. and so if you feel like you have a story that needs to be told by all means, like go back a couple of episodes and check that out. But I know that we have posted it on the page um, and on Facebook. And um, yeah, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, we do want to hear from you. Uh, we do love our listeners as, as much as you may hate us. We love our listeners. Yeah, and if you have something you want to talk mm -hmm. about, if you want to be on the podcast, mm -hmm. drop us a voice message, drop mm -hmm. us a line on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Let us know. We don't know you out there if you don't let us know. Yeah. So. You know? Absolutely. Uh, we also have an email address. It's trans, it's transgender, oh no, transmafiapodcast trans at gmail.com. Yeah, so transmafiapodcast. I think that also is on our Facebook page um, yeah. that you can access even if you're not on Facebook. Yep. But anyway, uh, you know, please, please, you know, engage with us. And um, if you like us, give us five stars and please leave a review because apparently the whole five stars doesn't actually count unless someone actually says something leave a review, okay. so uh, we would love to do that because like we aren't making money doing this we are just kind of doing this because it's our passion and our therapy yes um, but you know we would like to be able to do something a little bit more so we can pay people to interview on here and travel and actually you know connect with people a little bit more so anyway yeah get a hold of us if you want and um, we can make things happen everybody have an amazing week thank yes. you for listening share our link and we will be back next week have a good day, guys. Bye for now. Yeah, so there's there's a picture in here in, in the women's guys. Uh, Mademoiselle La Chavier Dion. Yes. De Beaumont. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, this is someone who, this is the one yes. uh, where she would sword fight people mm -hmm. in her skirts. Um, would challenge men to sword fight in skirts kind of to prove that, that she was oh, yeah. as badass as she was. He was, she was, because again, we don't really know how people um, identified. But anyway, I would, men and women's guys and women and men's guys, I do highly recommend the historical accounts. And it's very actually, the man who wrote this, it's like he wasn't looking at it like, ew, gross, look at these freaks. It was more like, this is information. This is really cool. Look at these things. Look at how gender has been in and what we look at, you know, mm -hmm. and what's considered appropriate and what's not considered appropriate. Yep. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. So I I know that when I was doing research, mm -hmm. 
uh, I've been able to find people back into the 1400s documented. Yeah. However, I know that there was quite a few years back, um, there was a newspaper article, uh, gay grave uncovered, and essentially a person with, with who was, um, had male skeletal structure okay. was buried as as a female because there were certain yeah. burial right. sites there and I'm like were they that wasn't or, gay. Were they indigenous or Native American? No. No, no interesting. No. Um, I can't remember where I'm gonna have to find that article. But like they don't know the sexual orientation of that right. person, but that person lived as a woman. The only reason I asked if it was indigenous or Native American is because the Native American culture mm -hmm. is so comfortable with gender fluidity. Yeah, yeah. And well, they are, are yeah. I mean, to me, they are, we stole the land from them. Right. right? They were here Absolutely. first. They, we are on, living on stolen land. This is, I mean, they were here first. But, like, you know, I wonder if everybody, if they, everybody were able to adapt to their mindset, society today would have a different view about gender and about trans people. You know, if they could be expected, as accepting as the Native American community was yeah. about it. Um, I'm gonna do two real quick, can I do that? Absolutely. All right, so the first one I'm gonna do is Michael Dillon. Michael Dillon became the first transgender man in history to have a phalloplasty. I wonder how that went for him. I'd be, I, you know what, this is gonna sound really weird and grotesque. I would like to see pictures of it just to see what it looked like and how mm -hmm. far we've come since he had it done. Because I think that was back in 1940 something. So it couldn't have been very, um, easy to do back then because mm -hmm. I'm sure nobody knew how to do it. I'd yeah. be interesting to even know how they did it back then. Anyway, maybe it was better than now. Oh, I'm sure it has to be better <laughs> now. I don't know. Anyway, no, um, I mean better than now. Oh, better than maybe, now. Yeah, because someone was actually taking the time to do it. Yeah, um, but he also later wrote a book uh, called Self: A Study in Endocrinology and Ethics. Um, considered the very first book on trans identity, advocating for medical and hormonal help over psychotherapy for trans people. Go, Michael Dillon. Uh, the second person I wanted to mention is... Mm -hmm.